Hello and welcome into localjobnetwork.com radio. I'm Tim Muma and this is Executive Decisions, a podcast focused on the strategies and decisions to be made by those of the employer and upper management. We'll be talking about a potentially sensitive issue for this show as we look to give employers the knowledge and tools to recognize and prevent workplace bullying. As according to a 2010 survey conducted by the Workplace Bullying Institute, 35% of the American workforce or about 53.5 million people, report they've directly experienced bullying. So we brought on the show psychologist Dr. Gary Namey, who is the co-founder and director of the aforementioned Workplace Bullying Institute. Thanks for coming on the show today, Gary. Thank you very much, Tim. I guess first of all, just fill our listeners in a little bit on what the Workplace Bullying Institute is all about. It is um, a, a nonprofit institution that my wife and I started because of what happened to her in her life, that she was actually bullied as a PhD clinical psychologist in a psychiatry clinic by another PhD clinical psychologist. And it so shocked her, it actually ended her career. Uh, it affected her health, and we didn't know what it was about. We learned that it was a different form of harassment, not legally actionable, and those were hard lessons for us to learn, but many millions of Americans have learned them since. So we started this uh, group, and I was previously a, a research psychologist uh, in university, and I thought, well, we, at the very least we can do, we can tap our research background and conduct studies, and now we've got this highly trafficked website over 16 years, and people come to us and we do research. The survey you mentioned was one of our two national okay. scientific surveys that we commissioned, but we also commissioned a survey. So we do a lot of research. We do self-help. We write the books for bully targets and for employers. The, in 2011, we wrote the first book for employers about what to do about workplace bullying. Because quite frankly, we want employers to do what they should be doing voluntarily because mm -hmm. they, they have the, that level of control, and we'll talk about that. But the other study I wanted to mention was uh, in early 2013, Zogby ran um, a couple items for us as part of a CEO survey, and 68% said that they considered workplace bullying, under that name, workplace bullying, right. a serious concern. Hmm. So it's on the radar for employers and senior leadership, and uh, it's just a matter of getting them to act and get going. Sure. Well, and I appreciate you giving us all that information. I think that's important for our listeners to understand that this is, it's not just something you guys have thrown out there. There's a personal element to it, which I think people understand that being a, an aspect that um, that really does put you in the forefront with what you guys are trying to do over there. Now, as I said off the top, we want to give employers the ideas, the tools to know and recognize what it is, um, you know, what it looks like in their workplace. So, in general, is there a way that you describe what bullying is or what it looks like or what it sounds like? Sure, sure. And, and it, I think you're on to something big there. It's not only that they recognize what it is, but what it is not. Hmm. So first, what it is, is repeated health-harming mistreatment. And now it's going to take the form of uh, verbal abuse or uh, threatening, intimidating, or humiliating hmm. behavior and conduct. And that includes a whole host of non-verbal behaviors, too and uh, sabotage, work interference, or actually targeting individuals, exploiting them if they have a particular psychological or physical vulnerability. So that's, that's the broad definition sure. of what it is. So it's serious. It is in the family of abuses. It is a form of workplace violence. NIOSH has called it a sublethal, uh, non-physical form of workplace violence. 
So it's not to be confused with trivial eye rolling or however the critics will discount it. They'll, they'll pick out a particular behavior and say, oh my gosh, why, why are you reacting to that? It's never that. Right. It's a repeated chronic package. But it's also not a couple things. Um, it's not conflict. Hmm. It is. Uh, it appears like conflict, sure. and it come packaged like conflict. But the truth is, it's not between two equally powered parties. Nor is it um, a routine exercise of managerial prerogative. If you have to manage in an abusive manner, you shouldn't probably be in the management ranks. So um, let's get that clear right from the start. Because if you, if the employer improperly defines the problem, they're it's going to take them to the wrong solution. So no mediation is uh, is a two word mantra that we have to get we have to hammer home to employers. No mediation. It's the wrong tool for the wrong problem. I think an important point you brought up right off the beginning there was that it's it's the repeated actions or words that it's not a one time thing. It's not as you said. It's not just a, a conflict that happens, but it's an over time gradual thing that really does end up causing this harm overall. I mean, is that how you would make sure you differentiate that? That's partly it. And as part of that chronic nature, that brings up another point that sometimes, and actually oftentimes, the, the uh, incidents themselves, if you were taking an incident in isolation and describing it, it wouldn't appear that outrageous. Right. It wouldn't appear severe. It wouldn't appear actionable. But the nature of stress is it's cumulative, and its impact is cumulative, and the danger comes from chronic exposure. So the longer a person is exposed to a steady drip, 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 of perhaps small appearing incidents, uh, the the total effect is can be quite severe. So people need to understand science and physiological responses. But often the employer will say, "Well, that's not a big deal. Mm-hmm. That's a personality conflict or it's a personality clash." That's how they discount it. Very very important to not let that happen. To look at the totality of the of the pattern. There's always pattern and practice in bullying. Sure. What else makes it such a complex issue? I had seen some some articles uh, talking about it's you can't compare it necessarily to what would de- be deemed as traditional bullying, like in the schoolyard. And part of that is because with adults there are more layers, there's more intelligence, there's more plotting. I guess how would you describe it? How, what makes it more complex than that? I way? agree. I, I agree with that subterfuge part that that adults are much more innovatively creative and cruel. They can um, be much more subtle and covert, and they can actually, here's the funny thing, not funny thing, I mean, one of the craftiest things they do is they, they, they will act, the, the instigator, the perpetrator will act as a puppet master and get others to do their dirty work. Mm. So they even deflect responsibility. It's really hard to figure out who's behind the, uh, the cruel action and the campaign, but it escalates uh, very quickly into becoming um, a group against many against one. So the instigator rallies troops around them and gains support. And so there, there are multiple uh, assailants, if you will. And it's okay to call this an assault. We're not talking about, you know, uh, simple personality differences. This is a campaign to destroy people, to ruin their careers, and to destroy their confidence in themselves. And it's it's just sick and twisted if we start looking at some of the motives and we don't delve into that enough. There's plenty of research on that, but rather the point is how do employers allow this to happen on their watch without taking action? So that becomes the challenge. And the first challenge is you better see it mm-hmm. because it's very easy to hide. You, ha- you hit it on the head. When it's hidden and, it's all, and all the actions are behind closed doors, 
um, senior management doesn't have any awareness of that unless and, uh, unless and until the targeted person, we don't call them victims, the targeted person does report it. But they, they will wait several months because of the personal shame involved. They're not, I mean, this comes out of the blue. They don't know what has hit them. It's never happened before. A study we did just this year shows that a full third of the targets have never been bullied. They were never abused at home. They never were bullied in the school. This is the first time in their lives. So they certainly don't recognize it. And so they don't report it out of personal shame. It's not the kind of thing you boast about. Right. So on, uh, so to give the employer's benefit of the doubt in the first part, there's no way they know about it unless somebody tells them about it. Sure. To that point, uh, you know, I think a lot of people would say, well, I, I would recognize it because it's that person that's yelling and screaming and, and always berating somebody and being on their case. But as you brought up a couple of the other ways that bullying occurs, could you fill us in maybe a little bit on what are the common ways that you see in the workplace where that repeated action or behavior or, or words do affect people in a way that, as you said, is sort of hidden or, or uh, just well disguised in the way that it is affecting people? The screaming and the yelling is almost cartoonish. It's sure. like a caricature <laughs> of what bullying is. It's, it's the poster child for bullying, mm-hmm. the yelling, screaming fool. We call them screaming Mimi in our book, Bully at Work, but it's really, really rare. The trick is uh, to understand that behind closed doors, what typically happens in a scenario is a relatively new supervisor will get the thoroughly competent worker, the most thoroughly competent worker and their staff in for a one-on-one meeting. They will have ascertained this is the person who knows is the go-to expert because all the other workers like him and everything else and rely upon them, and they will tear them apart systematically over time and lie on the performance appraisal tool. And so that stays much more hidden. Sure. They're then declared incompetent, which is just jaw-dropping, deer in the headlights, totally shocking news, never before heard news to the target. And over time, they will tear that person down and in the worst case, actually traumatize them. But, but they will at least shake their confidence and render them incompetent over time and therefore, they've got them uh, on a uh, performance improvement plan and on the way out the door. And they have descended from the most, the most talented, revered employee to one who is uh, psychologically shaky and on the edge and on the, actually on the edge of termination for poor performance. And that's how it happens. And um, it's just amazing. So it's not the screaming and the yelling. Right. And the other is the destruction within a work group uh, by rumor and gossip, playing what we call divide and conquer games, where former bowling team friends and everyone you had potlucks with on the weekends, because you've worked there 15 years and you're all buddies, have now turned against you, treat you like a pariah, because either a new coworker has come in to um, uh, form a new clique, and pull the loyalty away from you, challenging your friendship, so that you're then suddenly ostracized, and you're you're the uh, black sheep, and you're out, and you, everybody else is in, and the pain of ostracism is quite severe, and never to be minimized, and so being a social outcast, to be socially excluded, is sort of the second most common form of destroying, again, a thoroughly competent, active, engaged, wonderful worker. And that's who we're losing. Sure. Tim, we're losing the best people to bullying because these are the people who pose a threat to the aggressors. The aggressors are the ones who have a hole in their soul and can't seem to um, be content 
to do the work they're paid to do or manage people in a humane manner. It takes a lot of effort to be a good manager. So it's easier to bully people and abuse people because it's the lazy person's way out. And in these days when when it's said that funds are tight and the first thing that's cut in every client organization we go into is training. Hmm. So there's no education to how to be a manager and we're left to the people's imaginations based on bad movies and crappy TV shows of how to, what a manager looks like. And they don't understand the work involved, and so they just push people around. They think that's the way to manage. And unfortunately, that's becoming the American style of management. And uh, we're getting away from the good stuff and having talented managers, and we're getting a lot more bullies. Well, obviously, the, the, the picture you paint isn't necessarily a pretty one. Um, and as you described there, you can understand how difficult it might be to uh, recognize it right off the bat. But I did want to ask you about sort of the impact that can occur. And because we are sort of looking to talk to the employer here, economically, you know, financially, you're talking about if you're losing these these good employees, it's not somebody who uh, came in with some sort of bad track record and, and that's where it's coming from. What sort of impact does bullying end up having on the bottom line, on the business, on the whole really organization if this is occurring and, and you do lose people or you have a lack of production because of sort of that bad path you said people go down? Well, the lack of production is going to come from disruption of time time uh, on the job. So you've got absenteeism, rampant amp- absenteeism right. in the units where bullying is happening. The targets themselves, as well as the witnessing coworkers are going to be suffering um, a lot of anxiety and then many on to clinical depression. The research shows that the witnesses suffer a depression of equal severity to the targets, which is pretty stunning to me. But anyway, it, you know, nobody likes to watch it. Right, right. And so you got, you got rampant absenteeism. You got presenteeism with people trying to flee like rats from the uh, dysfunctional unit division. Here's the point. If the bullies range, and the bully is a, a, a low-level supervisor, first-level supervisor, seven to ten people are affected. But keep going up the chain. If they become a middle-level manager, a divisional manager, a senior manager, that their their approach then uh, toxifies the work environment for that many more people. So you've got this bigger and bigger chunk of your organization affected. But in the smallest, it's a supervisor. Seventy-two percent of the time, bullies are bosses. Okay, so. Let's say in the minimal, minimal effect, small supervision, uh, small time supervisor, first level, seven to ten people affected, something like that. So you got the absenteeism, you got presenteeism, you've got everyone wanting to seek a transfer out. But now I'm going to make you a workplace bullying consultant. You ready? It's really, really hard. You, all you have to do is go into an organization and look for differential turnover. Turnover is actually your number one indicator of bullying is happening. Interesting. People are leaving. They're dropping out. Now, as you mentioned, in terms of if you are going to make a fiscal bottom line business case argument, which we're quite capable of doing, then you will take a figure based on our national rate and our other research that shows the proportion of people who lose their jobs. And, and that results in a 7% preventable loss. We think bullying is preventable. And, but we can show you that 7% of your workforce will be lost on a routine basis if bullying is allowed to occur annually. So how big is your company? If you're a 100-person company and you're going to lose seven people that year just because of bullying, not because of anything else going on in the industry, the weather, or anything. And this is even in tough economic times. They're going to be thrown out. So here's the point. Take that, seven, that 7%, those seven people, 
and and figure the replacement costs, which HR will tell you will vary from one and a half to three times the salary. Mm -hmm. Take take one and a half. Be very conservative and modest. So you've got um, people, let's say it's a $50,000 salary position, $75,000 to to, uh, do each. And I knew I'd get myself into this. I'm recalling a slide without the final figure. Okay. (laughs) Uh, So we'll do the math, and it's well over $500,000 is the point to replace seven $50,000 employees. Hmm. Now, why are you going to call that a routine cost of doing business? You're going to keep, I call the bully Bob. You're going to always be forgiving Bob. And every year we got to replace seven people because of Bob being the division manager over those hundred. That's crazy. And yet, that what happens is, is there a logical, rational business case to be made? Yes, but will you as the executive understand that that should be the primary focus for the organization? Or perhaps is your loyalty more to Bob than it is the bottom line and you let Bob stay and you will then write off or discount all the people who left as somehow inferior or flawed and you blame it on not being able to get the right people. Hmm. So the business case argument is one of them. I just returned from a safety conference, and because of the health, and we can talk more about the health impact on people, but if the health impact is so great on people, it's a health and safety issue. So here I got all these health and safety people saying, well, that's the argument we want to make, is that this is too risky. Now, who knows about risk? Risk managers. So your risk manager is also aware of other losses, not only to health or escalating health employee costs, not only to turnover, they may not be connected to turnover. Frontline HR will know about the turnover. But the risk manager also knows another cost, and that is the cost of litigation, litigation and mounting defense costs. Sure. Though this is still legal in the U.S. and every state, the point is that people will have some underlying discrimination sometimes playing out, and so they'll have the right to file an internal complaint on an EEO complaint, and or they will use some other something else, or they're so desperate they'll file a lawsuit even without merit because they just want the employer to pay attention because they haven't listened and haven't corrected it. And so this costs the employer in terms of litigation. You add all those up, bullying is, and, and, to, and to get to think, this is preventable. And I'm going to tell you how to prevent it in a bit, but right. it is preventable for crying out loud. Why are you losing all this money? So I, I agree with you, Tim. It's the business case is rather easy to make if the employer, the executives, who was the employer, so the executive team and the board, are willing to take the business case and be rational. Any rational business would stop the bullying just because it costs them from a P&L you know, point of view. Right, right. And, and I, you know, obviously I want to clarify, we're not trying to diminish any of the physical or mental effects that it would have on employees. But the idea here is that sometimes and maybe many times, and you're the expert on that, is the bottom line ends up making a lot of those decisions. So do you disagree with that or do you think there should be more of a focus on the the health and safety side as you brought up? Well, I clearly agree with the health and safety folks internally. You have to have a pretty large organization to have a dedicated health and safety uh, department or whatever. But of course, I think the employee health is, uh, is important. But I go along with you. Let's make the business case. What we've got to do, however, is make the employer a rational decision maker and take them away from some of their irrational stereotypical notions. Number one, that Bob is maybe a jerk, but Bob is my indispensable jerk. Bob is not indispensable. The people he's thrown out and driven out, basically, were the ones who were the ones bringing in your good reputation, your good productivity, 
making you a world-class type organization with products and services. So you've kind of got displaced loyalty there, misplaced, I'd say. The other thing is uh, that makes them an irrational actor is the tendency to deny that this is happening here. Sure. Back to the CEO study, 68% said serious problem, but 32% said, yes, but it doesn't happen here. Hmm. Well, uh, that's <laughs> not exactly true. It happens wherever people are gathered. So you need to be able, and they're going to try it. There's going to be a certain minority of people, some of the newest research says, let's call them, they're not psychopaths, and we never think they are psychopathic. But the meanness to them, uh, they're saying, let's call them everyday sadists, okay? But they're clearly, and I'm not even going there, but they are people <laughs> who are willing to be mean and exploit other people when it's rewarded to exploit other people. Our explanation of why bullying occurs in any organization is a three-step one. Number one, there's, there develops a cutthroat culture that is uh, either deliberately uh, managed and set as a goal, or most important, most frequently, it inadvertently develops because people are pitted one against another. Mm -hmm. Part two is there's always going to be a minority of people willing to exploit other people, period. It's human nature. They're Machiavellian, and they work for you because they work everywhere because they are everywhere. And so that's fine. Now, whether there are also some sadists in there and some psychopaths and some especially cruel people, eh, maybe, I don't know. Uh, the expert on psychopathy says one in a hundred executives are psychopaths, but not many people who work uh, a daily routine because of the intolerance of routine. All right. The third part is, and here it is, this is, this is the rocket science, and it's so complex. It's unbelievable. But just like rats and pigeons and animals, we humans respond to positive reinforcement. Okay? So it's rewarded, and therefore it's repeated. Now, what do I mean by rewarded? Why is bullying rewarded? Not usually by promotion, though that happens. We have thousands of tales of that. But, 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 it's more likely to be implicitly rewarded, inadvertently rewarded, by discounting complaints when they bubble up hmm. or treating a complaint with indifference. And so the employer's first task is to start to rethink how complaints about um, non-EEO type harassment complaints, because that's what people are going to say now. The language is harassment. I'm being harassed. But harassment has legal connotations, right. and HR and EEO say you don't fit into the narrow box. Well, this is four times more prevalent, so HR and EEO are getting these stories and complaints, but they're not acting on them because they're not illegal. So the legality becomes the excuse to allow to sustain it. So what the employer needs to do is, as you said, wait a minute, it's costing you a fortune. Why don't you act to prevent it for that reason alone? Do that voluntarily. There are no laws pushing you. And it seems that employers in areas that are not regulated, where laws do not exist, do not take proactive action, period. They did not go out and say, I'm going to stop sexual harassment because I want to protect my women employees. But they do know how to react and comply with laws, react to comply with laws, and then they treat it seriously, and suddenly men don't grope women anymore because they know they can't. And the employers get it across, there shall be no groping here. Harassment, knock it off. And men are learning. It's taken them a long time. <laughs> but employers have made that commitment, right? All we're asking is that bullying, which is much more prevalent, much more harmful. The research shows that sexually harassed people 
suffer less anxiety, less depression, less hostility, less anger than people who are bullied. So if you're legally harassed, a.k.a. bullying or psychological violence, you see, you see, Tim, workplace bullying is domestic violence where the abuser is on the payroll. So is the employer willing to consider this a serious enough form of abuse to proactively go after it and forbid it? And they could because they know how to do it mm-hmm. uh, in terms of all the other forms of harassment. So they need to just add this to the list and then and tackle it, declare it unacceptable, and get the word out and then enforce it. And, sl- and slowly, over time, bullying will disappear and it'll restore all that lost revenue. But the, they have to do this in the absence of a law now. That's what we're asking employers to do. Right. In Canada, they're pushed. They're pushed by occupational health and safety regulations in five provinces. But in the U.S., nah, nothing going on yet. Not yet. We have yet to enact a law. But that's, that's really the goal. Right. That's a smart employer versus one who's willing to take the risk, absorb the losses, and wait until there's a law. Why should you wait? It's a road. You're losing good people right now, right now, that you need. And the complaint by all employers is, we go into the talent pool, we can't find them. We got to bring them over on visas, for crying out loud. We can't find good people. You Really? They're right under your roof. But they were telling you, bad news about Bob. And you didn't want to hear that Bob was not the person he portrayed himself to be to you. But you know what? That's the same Bob. The view from the top of Bob is that Bob is a loyal servant and a great golfing buddy and a friend and a lunch buddy, and he'll do anything for you. And by the way, 38% of bullies are women too, so they're Bobettes. (laughs) But the point is, the view of Bob from the top is totally different than if you are scrutinized and terrorized by Bob from the bottom up if he has targeted you. And yet that's the same individual. So so employers have to be pretty good at detective work and, and you know, uh, flushing him out is what they have to do. Well, due to time constraints, we'll need to take a quick break here on Executive Decisions and our discussion of workplace bullying with Dr. Gary Namey, co-founder and director of the Workplace Bullying Institute. We'll pick up the conversation in part two, however, of this episode. Just go to localjobnetwork.com slash radio slash list and type in executive decisions dash preventing workplace bullying, and it will appear right there for you. Meanwhile, go ahead and send us an email to ljnradio at localjobnetwork.com with your comments or suggestions for show topics on any of our LJN Radio programs. Once again, I'm your host, Tim Muma. We'll talk to you later. 